Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. For this, our 11th episode, we're going to be reviewing the murder on the Orient Express. We're going to be discussing Scott's attendance at the Fest for Beatles fans, and we're going to be ranking the Disney World theme parks. As always, we will conclude with the Stuff We Love segment. Let's meet the hosts. I'm Jack. I'm Scott. And you're listening to the Stuff We Love podcast. Welcome to Stuff We Love podcast. So I'm going to be doing a brief review of The Murder on the Orient Express. It was obviously based on the novel by Agatha Christie. And one of the reasons I love the movie so much is because of the cast. So it features Johnny Depp, Daisy Ridley, Michelle Pfeiffer, Judi Dench, Penelope Cruz, Josh Gad, Leslie Odom Jr., William Dafoe, just to name you know a couple of the people in the movie. And the really elite cast made the movie super enjoyable. So I had never read the original book. I hadn't seen the original uh, movie, but this movie was extremely exciting to watch. It kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time, and because of what an elite set of uh, actors it was, pretty much every single interaction on screen was really enjoyable to watch. And while I didn't see it in theaters, I saw it. You know, I rented it after after it was um, released on DVR. I really enjoyed it, and I know it was a, a, a really good experience to see. And it didn't do extremely well on. Um, Rotten Tomato, I believe, received a 56 critic score and a 58 audience score, which is, you know, pretty low. But I thought it was a really enjoyable movie. I definitely would rank it a lot higher than that. And I thought, based on a lot of the other movies that had come out this year thus far, uh, it definitely ranks in some of my more enjoyable movies. And I, after watching, I really did want to see it again, which I think speaks to the quality and enjoyability of this movie. So, so Jack, uh, before I ask you a couple questions, I just want to tell the... Uh, listeners that I actually watched this wasn't planned by the way I watched Murder on the Orient Express the 1974 film version the other night I think the most recent one was the third film version of Murder on the Orient Express but years ago I read the book and I really liked it and in the 1974 movie it also had a a great cast people like Sean Connery uh, Ingrid Bergman Lauren Bacall uh, Richard Widmark, just to name a few legendary actors that are in there. And it was directed by Sidney Lumet, who was a great director. But my question for you, Jack, is, so this was the first time you saw any Murder on the Orient Express. So it obviously has a twist ending. Did you see it coming when you were watching the movie or did it take you by surprise? So, no, I mean, it didn't, It did. I did not see it coming. I'm not really great at predicting the end of these mystery novels but I really one of the reasons I really enjoyed it was because it did catch me off guard I thought it was really interesting and um, I'll say it again the acting was just really phenomenal in this movie and so that made the movie um, really enjoyable Um, I thought at times they could have done better things making the movie a little bit more suspenseful and suspenseful and displaying some of the um, the mysteries they also could have done a a better job of explaining uh, the murder at the end they do I'm not going to spoil anything you know too strict but they do a montage at the end of kind of how the murder took place and I think they would have been a little bit better if they maybe did some graphic overviews of how it took place in terms of like laying out the cabin and how everything was done because it did get a little bit confusing when they were retelling how the murder took place and I feel like at times um things weren't said but they were just kind of assumed by characters and so that might be why the ratings a little bit lower for the movie but it was definitely entertaining but I I didn't really catch on to what it was going to be until the very end but I thought they could have done a better job of kind of uh, you know walking the audience through how how the detective got to that point something else about murder on the Orient Express that I always liked as a concept idea is that these people are on a train and it's not that big a train and one of the passengers is murdered, and you know someone on the train did it, 
but you don't know who it is. So I always thought that was a very cool idea that you have a set number of suspects and trying to find the guilty party. And the character Perot, the uh, detective, the way he solves things, it's sort of like Sherlock Holmes. He's a genius and he sees things that no one else sees. Um, how was Johnny Depp in the movie, Jack? So obviously Johnny, Johnny Depp's been taking a lot of heat, but I thought speaking strictly about his uh, performance in this movie, it was, it was really, really good. Obviously, I think uh, one of the difficulties for someone like Johnny Depp, who obviously played um, Jack Sparrow in um, Pirates of the Caribbean, for someone in such a, a known role um, and such a uh, specific role where people you know, know about that character throughout the world, it's hard at times to you know, break into other films after that and do a sufficient job and not be viewed in that same way. Because when he plays Johnny Depp, he's a lot more whimsical. He's a little bit more you know, humorous. Um, but in this movie, he plays a completely different character. It's a lot more serious. Um, and he does a really good job of it. And he, sell, he, he really sells it to the audience. The, the, the character portrayal he, he, he makes is really enjoyable and, and really interesting. So he did, he did a really good job. Jack, another question I had for you about this version of the Murder on the Orient Express. Daisy Ridley from Star Wars was in it. Uh, I thought she was really good in all the Star Wars movies she's been in, and I just wanted your reaction to her in this film. So yeah, the same thing. Um, I know a lot of actors, specifically when you're talking about Disney, um, other than Harrison Ford, I've seen Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher didn't really have a ton of success in other films just because they were known um, so... Uh, evidently from the Star Wars films and so Daisy Ridley obviously had it had obviously a great opportunity when she took the Star Wars gig but also a, a, a tough uh, road to climb as she approached other films uh, because obviously not wanting to just be known for you know one film but she did a really good job as well uh, I think she's got a lot of developing to do as an actress but for her role in this movie she played it very well and whenever whenever I was watching her on screen I wasn't thinking of her as the Disney character the uh, Star Wars character and also something to note my dad who, who I was watching the film with he I, I was explaining to my mom, who you know, notable actors in this film, and um, he didn't realize it was Daisy Ridley at all. So he didn't even make the connection to Star Wars, um, just because of you know, obviously different costume and stuff. But she was you know doing portraying a different character. So I think that speaks to her performance um, in the film. She did she did a really good job as well. Uh, Jack, I definitely wanted to see this movie uh, because, like I mentioned earlier, I saw the 1974 film the other night, and I liked it, and it brought back a lot of memories of reading the book. And then I went and I watched the trailer for the 2017 film, and I just thought that uh, it looked like a cool update. It had sort of modern look to it, even though it was, a, it was an older film, like the characters were a different time period. But just looking at the trailer, they kind of had the old look but the modern feel to it. So I'm excited to check this out. This was good. Jack? Uh, one more quick note is just obviously those were a lot of you know really famous actors uh, two who surprised me and they were really good portrayals and I didn't expect them to be as strong actors one was Leslie Odom Jr. so people who aren't familiar with him he played uh, Aaron Burr in the uh, Broadway play that obviously was extremely successful Hamilton and so he uh, and in addition to him also Josh Gad who obviously played Olaf the Snowman in Frozen and so I had never seen them um you know, in a movie before, and although I knew they were, you know, household names, I didn't expect them to be as good in terms of the, you know, the acting aspects for the film, but they were actually some of the, the strongest actors in the film, um, not to downplay any of their actors' role, but just to, just to show that these two did a really good job in the, in the roles, and I think it's going to be cool to see them in other films going forward. Jack, as you mentioned that, I just realized something, which is that Leslie Odom, as you said, had his breakout in Hamilton. Josh Gad had his breakout in The Book of Mormon on Broadway. So right there, you have a big film with a lot of big-name stars, and two of them, Leslie Odom and Josh Gad, got their start on Broadway, which is really cool. Aaron Burr, sir. 
that's a Hamilton reference for those of you that uh, know the score. We'll have to talk about that in more detail in an upcoming episode. But um, yeah, Jack, that's that's a great review. Uh, give it a rating on a scale of one to ten. See, when I said that most movies, when I watch them, it, it, the the most important thing is if I want to see them again. And with Murder on the Orient Express, I really did want to see it again. It's something I'm seriously considering adding to my collection. So I would I would give it a strong um, eight out of ten. And it's a really solid 8 out of 10. Definitely some improvements, but for the movie they were making, I thought they did a really good job. That sounds really nice. Uh, I'm glad to hear you liked it. Uh, if anybody out there has seen it as well, feel free to tweet us or write to us and let us know your thoughts on the most recent Murder on the Orient Express. We got an 8 out of 10 as the going rating here, so let us know if you agree. Uh, Jack, anything you want to add about the movie, or should we uh, proceed to the next topic? Okay. Thanks, Jack. So I'm just going to speak for a couple of minutes about an event I attended with our co-host, Neil. By the way, Neil and Joe, our co-hosts, are out of commission. We had a bad storm here in the Northeast, and people are not having power in their homes. But anyhow, uh, Neil and I did go yesterday in Jersey City, New Jersey, to the Fest for Beatles fans. Uh, This is an event that's been held since the 1970s when it was known as Beatlefest. It's a convention that is currently held twice a year, once in the New York area and once in Chicago. It's a chance for fans of the Beatles to get together, interact with one another, uh, see live performances of the band's music, listen to people speak who had connections to the group, either that uh, knew them personally or worked in sort of their orbit, and uh, to hear a lot of authors who have written books about the Beatles come lecture about various topics, as well as to see some uh, miscellaneous display items connected to the Beatles. So... There's a lot to say about this event, but I'm just going to focus on some key things that were highlights. Uh, I was there for the Saturday day session. The first highlight I'll mention is that, as they do every year, they had a room devoted to uh, display pieces of fan art and newspaper clippings related to the Beatles. And it's very cool because you can see uh, newspaper articles related to the Beatles going back to the 1960s. And that's fascinating because you're able to see how news stories were covered at the time and just how different the newspaper industry was then, uh, you're also able to observe uh, newspaper clippings of the related to the solo careers of the Beatles going all the way through uh, recent times. And to see how the band has been covered in the media over the course of several decades is really fascinating. And then in terms of the art, it's always cool to see what uh, fans of the Beatles are doing in terms of creating various paintings and collages. This year is the 50th anniversary of the Beatles' White Album, so there was a lot of devotion to that at this event, and there were some cool art pieces related to the White Album on display. So that was definitely one highlight. Uh, Then in the main ballroom of the hotel, and by the way, the hotel was packed. It sold out. There are overflow hotels. This is something that gets thousands of people from all over the country and in some cases around the world. So in the main ballroom, uh, we saw a performance of two groups, basically. It was one group called Birds of Paradox, and they joined up with uh, two of Roy Orbison's sons who uh, were playing together, uh, doing Roy Orbison songs as well as some George Harrison stuff. For those of you that didn't know, in the 1980s, George Harrison, Roy Orbison, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, and Jeff Lynne of ELO formed a supergroup called the Traveling Wilburys. And this year, I think, is the 30th anniversary of that group. So uh, they released two albums, I believe. So there were uh, many Traveling Wilbury songs played at this concert and several Roy Orbison songs. They concluded with Pretty Woman. And if you go to our YouTube page, we're going to be posting a clip of uh, Birds of Paradox and the Orbison Boys performing several songs together. It was definitely a highlight of the event. 
Uh, and there was good discussion in the main ballroom as well, authors that have spoken and so forth. So that was a definite highlight. Then the third thing I'll note is that Neil and I met somebody named Leslie Cavendish, and he's not a household name, but his job was he was the hair cutter for the Beatles. And he just wrote a book about his experience in London in the 1960s and his interactions with the Beatles. He was also in the Beatles movie Magical Mystery Tour. Um, so he, if you look at pictures of him from the 1960s, he's a classic hippie-looking guy uh, living in the craziness of London in the 60s. But now he's very much a British gentleman dressed very nicely. And one thing I noticed about him was that as he signed his book to me, after he was done signing and he was sitting down, he stood up to shake my hand and shake Neil's hand. And he did that for every other person that was buying his book. So, you know, how they call people British gentlemen, that type of thing. He definitely was one. And his book looks great. And he was a big, uh, big attraction at the convention. Then the fourth thing is that at the hotel where the convention is taking place, there are spur of the moment performances by various fans of the Beatles that bring their instruments. And it's pretty amazing to see because you have people of all ages, including little kids who are singing the songs, playing the songs on guitar and bass for example and they know all the lyrics and it speaks to the popularity of the Beatles and also uh, to the devotion of these fans that they know how to play all of these songs I really can't explain how they do it but it was a lot of fun to watch and see and then finally the last highlight I'll mention is the marketplace at this event there are tons of vendors selling Beatles items uh, the Fest for Beatles fans has their own official store where they're selling t-shirts CDs DVDs books um, bathrobes, slippers, pens, puzzles, mugs, anything Beatles related you could think of, they sell. It's easy to spend a lot of money at that. And then there are independent sellers selling records, um, Beatles related jewelry, vintage collectibles that go for thousands and thousands of dollars, Beatles ticket stubs that are now going for thousands. Uh, they're all sold at the Fest for Beatles fans. And of course, you can buy the books being sold by the various authors uh, in attendance. So um, this was, I've been going to this event since the 1990s. It's not cheap to go. I think it was $80 per person for the Saturday day. But you do get a lot out of it, if, especially if you go to the lectures and performances. And I had a really uh, great time with Neil. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm going to turn it over to Jack. So Scott, just a quick question. You're obviously a huge Beatles fan. You've been following them you know, forever. Was there anything you uh, saw or read that day that maybe you didn't know about the Beatles or that changed your perception on the Beatles or anything that shocked you? You know, it's interesting you, you mentioned that, and it ties into the Stuff We Love segment, which I'll talk about later on. But my uh, I basically, this week in Stuff We Love, I talk about a particular artist who was selling things at the Fest for Beatles fans. And he had a particular painting on display, which I bought a print of, which was the Beatles in the early 1960s in Hamburg, Germany, where they played. They went there several times to play. And I always had heard about them playing in what's known as the Red Light District of Hamburg, which is full of nightclubs and places like that. And I had heard descriptions of it. But this artist, who is a real, he pays real particular attention to detail, created in his print the world of the Red Light District. And I had no idea just how much neon sign, how many neon signs were there, how closely packed the nightclubs were together, and just how um, unique a place the red light district was. And it sort of gives you an idea into the Beatles' formative years. So that was one thing that I never really had an appreciation of until this event. And then uh, another thing that I'll say is that when I was watching the live performance by Roy Orbison's sons and the, the group known as the Birds of Paradox, 
and they were telling stories. Roy Orbison's sons were telling stories about their memories of Tom Petty and George Harrison. I always knew those guys were friends, but I never realized. Sometimes you forget that in the Beatles story because the Beatles story is so massive. You kind of can forget how in the 1980s, all these legendary figures, several of whom are now gone, like Tom Petty, who passed last year, they had these great interactions with each other. And it's something to think about if they had all uh, lived. Uh, Roy Orbison, I think, was the first of them to pass away. What could have been different? So um, those are two things that come to mind. But it is you leave there and you feel glad to be a Beatles fan. It sort of re-energizes you as a Beatles fan and uh, is something I look forward to going to every year. So now I'm going to turn it over to Jack to kick off our next segment. Uh, as you know, we talk about a lot of Disney stuff here on the show. Jack and I are both planning our trips for later this year. We're going to be there at the same time, which is going to be a lot of fun. But we thought we would take a couple of minutes to rank as things stand right now. So this is pre-Toy Story Land, pre-Galaxy's Edge and Hollywood Studios, our rankings of the top uh, of the top Disney World parks in order. So the candidates would be Magic Kingdom, Hollywood Studios, Epcot, and Animal Kingdom. So I think what we're going to do here is I'm going to ask Jack to give me his rankings. I'll then give my rankings and we'll uh, have a discussion. So Jack, here you go. So Scott, my first and favorite park of the what's established now would be Hollywood Studios. My second would be Epcot. Uh, the third would be the Magic Kingdom. And in last place would be uh, Animal Kingdom. So my order is Epcot at number one, Magic Kingdom at number two, Hollywood Studios at number three, and Animal Kingdom also at number four. So I'm going to start this off with the one point we're in agreement on, which is, uh, Jack, why is it that you ranked Animal Kingdom in last place as I did as well? So, I mean, Animal Kingdom's an awesome park. Obviously, this ranking is still, you know, these are some of the best amusement parks we've ever been to. Um, Animal Kingdom, for me, comes in last, just because although there's some really great rides there, of which I really enjoy, I feel like it's just a little bit of a hassle to get over to Animal Kingdom. It's a little bit further, and then it always feels to be a little bit more um, crowded when I'm there, and a little bit less um, enjoyable and relaxing, a little bit more um, uptight in a way, and so... I don't enjoy it for that reason. I also am a big fan of Disney, but I'm not, you know, a huge fan of, uh, you know, the, the, the nature aspects of the Animal Kingdom, although it's really cool. It just doesn't, for me, when I'm keeping all those things in mind, uh, rank up as one of my favorite parks. Um, for that, for those couple of reasons, it's, it, it, it falls behind the, the top three, but that's not saying it's a bad park in the slightest. It's, it's really just uh, the worst of the best, if, if that makes any sense. That makes total sense. And one of the things you just said, which I completely agree with, is you described Animal Kingdom as being a little bit more stressful. Is that the word? And I agree with that. And the reason is, I think, because it's the hottest park there. Uh, I've been there many times in the summer and at other parts of the year when it's very warm. It has the least amount of shade. So when you're going there, you're sweating a lot, you're uncomfortable, and that, of course, adds to your stress level. It, it makes wa walking even the slightest distance seem like a hassle. Also, now that they have Pandora, while I really like Pandora and I love Flights of Passage and I enjoy the Navi River Journey and everything else that's there, it's not like it's a huge, huge land. So it's not like you could go there and have a million things to do. Um, I like uh, Cali River Rapids. I like Kilimanjaro Safari. I like Dinosaur. But again, it just doesn't hold up as well as um, some of the other parks to me. Uh, Jack, I, I see you have something to say, and then I have a question for you. And while you're mentioning that, I also 
just realized another thing while you were speaking. Another reason it's not one of my favorite is because I feel like there's less place to um, not only rest throughout the day or kind of uh, stop, but also there's less uh, food option in Animal Kingdom. And the ones that are there, the good ones, are, are usually buried somewhere and that you really have to know where they are or, you know, look to find them. Whereas in the other parks, some of my most enjoyable aspects of them are, you know, the, the ability to, you know, sit in certain places, relax, and maybe get something to eat um, that I feel Animal Kingdom doesn't really have. I feel like you're constantly moving in Animal Kingdom, which tends to make it a little bit less enjoyable when compared to the other parks. I agree. I've never enjoyed the dining options at Animal Kingdom like I have at the other theme parks. Uh, Jack, you also pointed out something which is 100% true, which is that Animal Kingdom is physically located in a more remote part of Disney World. Now, one night I went with uh, my wife to the Animal Kingdom Lodge. We weren't staying there, but we went to check it out. And it's an absolutely gorgeous hotel. Um, It's a deluxe hotel. And I wanted to ask you, uh, given the remote location of Animal Kingdom, would you ever consider staying there because it's such an awesome hotel, or would you be hesitant to stay there because of the fact it's in such a remote location? So, I mean, I understand why it's in more of a remote location just because of the park they're trying to establish there. Um, but I would, we always stay at the boardwalk. And so one of the reasons we love the boardwalk is because you can walk to both Hollywood Studios and Epcot and, you know, Magic Kingdom's not too far away. Um, and that's one of the reasons we love the boardwalk. So to that degree, I would be hesitant to stay at the Animal Kingdom Lodge, but we have stayed at the boardwalk pretty much every single time we've gone to Disney World, so to check out a new resort would be awesome. And based on your descriptions, the fact that it's a deluxe resort, it would probably be you know absolutely amazing to stay there. Um, and it, I may stay there on a shorter trip, but if I'm really looking to go on our, our typical Disney trip, it's a little bit longer. We're trying to experience a lot of things there, um, you know, in all all the Disney parks. It, it would be hard for me to stay at the lodge versus the boardwalk just because of how accessible um, the parks are from the boardwalk. I, I agree. I feel like once you stay at a place like the Boardwalk, because of its location, it's hard to go anywhere else. Uh, I'll also note that as you were answering, something else I thought of is that the only way I think I would stay at Animal Kingdom Lodge is if I had a room that overlooked the savanna there where you could see the animals. I wouldn't go there if I just had a plain old pool view or anything like that, although it is an impressive hotel and you should definitely check it out on a future Disney trip. So uh, that is the point we agree on. Animal Kingdom came in last in our poll. Uh, Jack, I'm going to hand you the mic again but jack and i are recording together here physically for the first time in the same uh, location for a podcast recording but um anyhow jack i'm going to give you the mic and I, I would like you to address why you ranked hollywood studios number one because i think a lot of people are going to listen to this and say how could you say right now before toy story and star wars that it's your number one this is a controversial statement so i'm going to give you a chance to respond so a lot of people criticize hollywood studios because it is smaller and there is less to do there and that's exactly why I love it, because I feel like when you go to Disney parks, it can be a little bit overwhelming, even though I've been there, you know, tons of times. Um, and I really I, I can map out before you know we're going there what we're going to plan on doing. But for me, I really enjoy Hollywood Studios. But because, well, first of all, I'm a huge fan of movies. And so the whole theming of of that park and it's slowly changing obviously as we get rid of the great movie ride and stuff like that but I really love the theming since I was a little kid I always enjoyed seeing like the street performers um, you know when the the actors and actresses uh, that, that are the cast members from Disney I really enjoyed seeing them um, and I just really liked the overall vibe I felt when I was at Hollywood Studios um, because there's less to do I feel like the crowds are usually a little bit smaller and as a result um, it's a lot more enjoyable and a lot more laid back and also in terms of the theming like even from the entrance it seems a little bit more more um, retro in a way, which for me, I, I really enjoy that. And it 
kind of since they're setting it more in like you know old Hollywood um, when movies you know the height of you know movies I really enjoy that theming as well um, but to that degree I also like I said I'm a huge fan of movies and so like I love Star Tours for example so that ride that that whole area has always been since I've been a little kid my favorite part of the park by far um, in most in when comparing all four parks I love going to on the, the Star Tours ride and I always loved going in the shop afterwards and checking out all the cool stuff and you know going on the speeder outside and and um, in addition to that, the Muppets attraction for me, really, just I'm such a big fan of movies, so I'm I'm, I'm very drawn to Hollywood Studios. In addition to that, I also went to the uh, the Fantasmic show since I was a little kid there, and that was an op- awesome experience. And then also, obviously. Um, Tower of Terror and one of my favorite rock bands of all time which is Aerosmith they have their ride there and so for me there's just a lot of attractions there the theming the rides and then not to mention the food um, they have some really good food there um, the the brown derby um, which we always go to which we love in addition to um, this one smaller shop that we, we always get caramel apples at and because of all of the really quality things we see there and the fact that there's less a smaller crowd um, for me, it's hands down my favorite park. And with the addition of Star Wars Land and Toy Story Land, my only concern is it gets a little bit you know, too crowded, but I'm hoping it stays at the level it is because I really enjoy going there, experiencing all the attractions with the smaller crowd size. So, Jack, I had a question for you, but before I ask it, one of the things you just said really resonated with me, which is the food at Hollywood Studios. There was a trip, maybe three or four trips ago, where I said to myself, I want to try one new thing on every Disney World trip that I take from here on out. And the first thing I ever had in an attempt to do that was at Hollywood Studios. One of the places was the writer's stop. Do you remember the writer's stop? It was it's next was next to Sci-Fi Dining. It's since been closed and is reopened as a brewery, I believe. But anyhow, the writer's stop was a small place where you could go and browse books and have coffee and that type of thing. And I had a carrot cake cookie. So that thing was delicious. I, I like carrot cake. And it had this cream cheese type filling, if I recall correctly, and I loved it. So one of my distinctive Disney World food memories was at Hollywood Studios. But a question I had for you is, if you were going to Hollywood Studios today and you get there first thing in the morning, tell me how you, what are the things you would do over the course of your day? So just to note also before I answer the question, another one of the ways, um, you know, how I rank movies and how I rank the parks is just when I think back of my experiences at Disney, what stands out to me the most. And from food to attractions to, to shows to rides, I'll, all my favorite memories come from Hollywood Studios. So for me, I have to pick that park. Um, but to answer your question, how I'd lay it out. So obviously you have to pick the right fast passes. Now you can do those ahead of times. And like I was saying, I always remember when we used to go, when we were younger before they had the system in place, we'd always give my, my brother all of our tickets and he'd sprint off into the distance to try to get it, you know, the right, the, the fast pass for the rides we wanted to go on. Um, typically what I'll do, what we do when we get there is we usually go on um, a rock and roller coaster. It's a good way to wake yourself up. And then um, we'll typically go over to the Toy Story ride and Star Tours, while it's very popular, it doesn't usually get as crowded, so we can typically wait for that one um, and go on that one a little bit later in the day. Uh, but once the day starts winding down and we've already gone on all the attractions, um, my favorite thing to do at Hollywood Studios is check out the shops. Uh, while all the parks are really good shops, I feel like Magic Kingdom has a little bit more just merchandise and commercial stuff. But I feel like Hollywood Studios has a lot of really cool artistic pieces. Um and especially at the shops on that main street, it's one of the reasons I enjoy it so much. But I feel like you have to lay it out in that way and, you know, hit the rides in the morning and then um, a nice time to relax in the afternoon when it gets a little bit crazy. And then, you know, go to dinner and maybe see a show and then uh, check out the shops on the way out. You'll have a really good time at the park. 
Uh, Jack, that was an awesome review of Hollywood Studios and why it's your number one. Uh, maybe I'll rethink my ranking of it. But uh, for me, I ranked Epcot as my number one. Uh, before I tell you why, let me say that I do think Epcot is in need of refurbishment. Uh, I think it's getting a little bit dated. It still has a futuristic feel in Future World, but it's, to me, getting a little bit stale. And I think we are going to see some major renovations to Epcot in the years ahead. We already have Guardians of the Galaxy coming in where Universe of Energy was. We could have a debate about whether that's appropriate in Epcot or not. That's one of the hottest debates right now in the Disney fan community. But one thing is for sure, and that's that in five, ten years from now, the Epcot we know is not going to be in place anymore. So for me, though, right now, I did give it my number one ranking for a few reasons. One, I love the combination of Future World and World Showcase. I love the fact that you can get there in the morning and start off in Future World and go on attractions like Soarin', Mission Space, and Test Track, which are some of my favorite Disney attractions, especially Soarin' and Test Track. Do things like Nemo, which I find very relaxing, living with the land. I even enjoy Figment, although I recognize that it doesn't have broad appeal outside of little kids. And you can enjoy some of the shopping in Future World, such as at Mouse Gear, which is, I think, considered by many Disney fans to be one of the best Disney shopping experiences on property. So all of that's great. And then when World Showcase opens up at 11 a.m., you could just take a short walk over there and be able to explore samples of some of the world's countries and go inside the Mexico Pavilion, which is a ton of fun. Uh, the Canada Pavilion, where you could take great photographs outside of the waterfalls. It's almost like every country is a tiny little theme park with something fun to do. And I think that is something that makes Epcot really great. Uh, the attractions over in World Showcase, like Frozen, which is, I think, a really good attraction. Um, I did like Maelstrom, but Frozen is a lot of fun. I like the uh, Caballeros attraction over at Mexico, although I'm hearing strong rumors it's going to be replaced by a Coco attraction, which would make sense. Uh, but the Mexico Pavilion is absolutely beautiful inside. It's kind of breathtaking every time you step in there. Uh, I like the 360-degree movie in Canada, although it's a little bit dated. I love exploring the Japan Pavilion, which is beautiful. Um, and I could go through each pavilion, but there's just a lot to do there. And then it's walking distance to the Epcot Resort area. So you could go to the Boardwalk, you could go to the Swan and Dolphin or the Yacht and Beach Club. Uh, to me, that combination, though, Future World and World Showcase is what gave, made me rank in number one. I'll also note that part of my thinking was uh, picturing Future World at night. I love spending time there in the evening. It takes on a whole new feel with the neon lights. It's almost like you can't believe you're in the same place you were in during the day. Um, the attractions are still the same, but I do love going on test track at night. I think it's a lot of fun. And then uh, finally, the... Um, just going back to World Showcase, the food options at World Showcase. There are so many restaurants there to try and so many um, snack places like the uh, ice cream place in France being one example that you could go to and have unique food options. Plus, they have a lot of festivals over at Epcot, the Festival of the Arts, Food and Wine, um, Flower and Garden Festival. All of that is really uh, good stuff. So that's why for me it was my number one. Scott, before I say why Epcot was my number two, uh, I want to ask you, what is your favorite um, country in the World Showcase, uh, just in terms of the World Showcase features? Great question. Uh, I would say it's Mexico, uh, because I do like the boat ride there. I kind of don't want them to change it to a cocoa ride, even though that would be really cool. Uh, what I love about the Mexico Pavilion is how you can enter it, and then they just do this amazing job of making you feel like you're in a Mexican pavilion. 
I like the products being sold. I think they're really unique. I like the um, the fact that when you go on the ride there, you pass outside the restaurant. So I kind of like looking to the left and seeing what's on display there. And then if you look the other way, you're able to see the restaurant and into the pavilion. So I just find it to be a totally transformational experience going outside from outside at World Showcase inside the pavilion it's just beautiful and it's also jarring when you leave to go from being inside to being out but mexico is my number one so for me i ranked epcot second and i would definitely concede that at epcot there is way more to do um you know by far when comparing you know hollywood studios which i ranked first and epcot second there's just so much to do so much more to do at epcot um the only reason i have it as second is for that very reason but because when i leave epcot while there's i had such a great day there i always feel like i didn't do enough i want to check out other stuff and so for that reason i just where i leave hollywood studios you know knowing that i was able to space out my day completely how i wanted to be relaxed and still really enjoy it that's why i've caught second Uh, i agree with you know most of the stuff you said um you know it's so cool to go between the different parks um and also check out the world, uh, the world showcase. I agree, it definitely needs to be renovated. Specifically, the world showcase. I feel like some of the stuff, specifically Canada, I remember, always feels a little bit like it's in need of renovation. And um, specifically, when you're talking about like when you're talking about Future World, definitely back then when they designed it, what they thought would be Future World seems a little bit more retro to us now, and not really Future World. So that is in need of renovation. Um, one thing I'd recommend to everyone for people who enjoy Epcot. Um, is definitely go during the uh, spring festival when they have all the flowers. You get a completely different look at Epcot when you see it. And when I, we always used to go during in the May when they had the the flower festival going on. And so we checked out. You know, we always saw Epcot with the flowers. And then when we went back without, I was actually shocked because it felt so bare without all the flowers there. And I, I always was growing up thought that the flowers were the norm for Epcot because when you see Epcot with all the flowers, you know, across the all around the water and pretty much throughout the entire park, and they always have these you know the flower sculptures and stuff it's absolutely amazing to see and the grounds people do such an amazing job um during the uh the flower festival so definitely check out epcot when they in the may when in may when they have their flower festival it brings you gives you a whole new appreciation for the park Um, but for me hollywood studios and epcot are far above uh magic kingdom and animal kingdom there's a small small line between why um hollywood studios is first and epcot second but i think we uh see eye to eye in in that place but um i know scott's going to talk about now about why he actually ranks hollywood studios third and why he ranks magic kingdom as second and then we'll get into that part as well Uh, jack thank you before we get to that i just want to add two more quick things about epcot that occurred to me one negative and one very cool thing so a negative about epcot that i realized on a recent trip is we had dinner reservations at via napoli and we entered through future world on a very hot night and we had to walk all the way across. So one thing I didn't really have a full appreciation of is just how much walking is involved with Epcot. So on future trips, I don't think I'm going to be making reservations at places where I have to enter the park and walk really, really far. If I'm staying in the Epcot Resort area on a future trip, I may go to Japan for dinner because that's a quick walk. But the thought of going from like Future World to Via Napoli, it's, it's a lot. So that's, that's a negative. A positive, and I, I would... I'm going to see if we could find this on YouTube and link to it in the show notes. A very cool fact about Epcot, and I may be getting some of the details wrong, but President Reagan, when he had his second inauguration, I believe that the weather in D.C. was frigid cold, and they decided not to have a parade there like they normally have after inaugurations. And I believe that President Reagan traveled to Epcot later on to give what was his inaugural address, and they had a parade at Epcot. If I'm, I think there are some... Like I said, I may not be 100% right about that, but there's something there, and I think that's very cool. I always like to see where presidential interactions with Disney come together, and that's a cool fact about Epcot. So 
That's a, We'll try to link to that in the show notes. So I guess now I'll talk about uh, Magic Kingdom for number two. So I rank Magic Kingdom second. Um, we all know all the great things about Magic Kingdom. Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion, which is my favorite Disney ride, Space Mountain, Big Thunder Railroad, Splash Mountain, et cetera, et cetera. The attractions are great. It's a classic park. was the first park to open at Disney World. It's always exciting when you enter Town Square and then you see Cinderella's Castle at the end of Main Street, USA. Uh, I have so many wonderful memories at Magic Kingdom uh, that I've made over the years. That, I think, played into my thinking of listing it as number two. I also love going to the Magic Kingdom at night. If you're able to do that for extra magic hours, it's a totally different feel when Main Street is lit up at night. I also think, and I almost made Magic Kingdom my number one, I attended the Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party uh, the past two years, uh, we talked about that on a prior episode. So for me, I associate that with the Magic Kingdom, which gives me really f- fond memories. Um, the reason I think I gave the edge to Epcot over Magic Kingdom is because of that Future World World Showcase combination. And I just really love the thrill rides over at Epcot. Now that I'm going again on some of the thrill rides over in Magic Kingdom with my Big Thunder Railroad breakthrough, uh, I may change my opinion on this, but um, for now I give it my number two. Uh, Jack, do you want to comment on Magic Kingdom? So yeah, I agree with a lot of the reasons why Magic Kingdom is so great. My only complaint with Magic Kingdom is just pretty much most, pretty much almost any time you go there, um, and any time I've gone there, it's just obviously it's so much more crowded than any of the other parks. And you know, schools whenever they have trips to Disney, they usually go to Magic Kingdom as well, just because you know that's like the front, the front park for for Disney. And so to that degree, it's just always more crowded. And so um, no matter what part in the park, part of the park I'm in, I always feel like there's a large crowd and so that kind of makes it a little bit less enjoyable and you can kind of beat some of the crowd by going like scott said for extra magic extra magic hours at night um but for that reason it, it, it falls a little bit lower on my re- on my list but i agree with scott's for scott for all the reasons that magic kingdom is really great and so for me the last uh, thing i'll talk about is why i gave hollywood studios the number three ranking and uh, jack i fully appreciate everything you're saying about why you rank it as your number one for me though there's just not enough to do uh, right now uh i as i've talked about before i'm slowly getting back into the thrill the thrill ride game so i'm not going to go on rock and roller coaster or tower of terror just yet so for me that kind of leaves star tours and the great movie ride is closed although i'm looking forward to its replacement so there's just not enough for me to do, although I love walking around there. I love what it is that I go on. I'm very excited for what the future holds in terms of Toy Story Land and Galaxy's Edge. Uh, I do like the shopping there. I do a lot of shopping uh, when I'm at Hollywood Studios, and I also like the food choices as well. Uh, but it's just a little light for me on the attractions, and that's where I ranked it number three, although I still gave it the edge over Animal Kingdom because it's a much more, to me, manageable park than Animal Kingdom and uh, less hot because of the amount of shade there. So uh, those are our rankings. Uh, feel free to tweet us, write to us, post on Facebook, etc. cetera, uh, what your top Disney Park rankings are. And we'll revisit this topic later in the year after we go there this August and Toy Story Land is open. Uh, so we'll see where our rankings are at that time. And now we go to our very popular Stuff We Love segment. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Jack, who's going to tell us what's on his mind this week. So... What I'm talking about for the Stuffy Logue segment this week isn't really new. Um, it's actually been out since 2005. It's uh, the TV show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And so I recently got into it because, like Scott said, we had a storm in uh, the Northeast, and so my power was out for 
about a week, and so having no Wi-Fi and no no lights in my house, I just started you know watching some TV on my phone. And uh, Hulu has um, all of its sunny all of the show. It's it's always sunny in Philadelphia, and so I'm on like season you know four right now. And from what I've been watching, it's a it's a really good show. And so. I don't think I'm going to be the first person to tell you about this show, but I would just recommend if you haven't started watching it, um, definitely start checking it out because it's uh, the show. It's very um, not stupid humor, but the humor is not you know really s- sophisticated. It's just a really enjoyable show. It's a feel good show, and it just makes you really laugh. And after four seasons of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I've laughed harder than all of The Office. Not to say it's a better show than The Office, but just to say for me at least that it just really makes you laugh. And so for that reason, I've really enjoyed watching the show and I look forward to checking out the new seasons and catching up um, as it comes out in 2018. So So for my uh, Stuff We Love segment this week, I kind of touched on it earlier when talking about the fest for Beatles fans, but there is an artist based out of Texas. His name is Eric Cash. We're going to link to his website in the show notes. He does a tremendous amount of Beatles artwork of individual members of the group and portraits of the group. He also does uh, sports artwork and has uh, painted things that are in the world of advertising. He is an absolutely amazing artist. I've bought many of his prints. They actually decorate my office. Uh, he, he, It's almost like he tells the story of the Beatles through his prints. They're really, really well done. So I encourage you to visit his website and check it out. And uh, if you have a Beatles fan in your friends list or family and you want to get them a cool gift, one of those prints definitely will do the trick. Um, One of the people I talked to that was selling his artwork at the most recent Fest for Beatles fans described him as kind of Norman Rockwell-like in his painting, and I do agree with that. So Eric Cash, the artist, for me is my stuff we love this week. And we thank you for tuning in. Uh, I'm going to tell you where you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod. We're on Instagram at Stuff We Love Podcast. We have a Facebook page. Please like it and uh, let us know what you think of our episodes. Uh, we have a website, StuffWeLovePodcast.com. You can read about the hosts and check out our products page where we link to things we to different products we talk about. We have links to Amazon.com, and if you visit those links, even if you don't buy what we link to and make another purchase, the show benefits from that. So please keep us in mind when you're doing your Amazon shopping. Uh, you can write to us at stuffwelovepodcast.gmail.com, uh, stuff and please leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. We really, really appreciate it. So thank you for tuning in. We have a lot of great content coming your way. And also, like I mentioned earlier, check out our YouTube page where we'll be posting soon. Uh, may already be up by the time you listen to this video from the Fest for Beatles fans. Uh, I'm Scott. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Jack. We'll make sure to catch back with you guys in the next episode.